Yeah, Doug, you rusty. neglected to tell you guys before the show that I made an executive decision to make this season three, episode one. <laughs> so let's, let's that's, why, that's why we're a little rusty on that intro. So we're going to get that right for episode two. But before we even start up, we haven't been here for at least six, seven weeks. Um, we want to get everybody caught up. And we thought maybe one an interesting topic as we're wrapping up this school year of 2021 what will we tell our elementary, middle school, high school self going into the next school year as sort of a quick pep talk? Because everything's been messed up for a year plus. Hopefully in the fall, it'll appear a little bit more normal. And for kids, what might that look like? Because I don't know if they've forgotten or not. I know I got kids. They have no idea what school is like, even my older ones. So what would you tell yourself as a younger self? Anybody want to jump in on that one first? I'll jump in. I, I will tell my younger self, expect the unexpected. Take it one day at a time and don't stress yourself out because things just going to change from day to day. So live in the moment and take it one day at a time and roll with it. Awesome. Dina, um, Steven, you guys yeah, by the way, d- like, Doug, did you let everybody know that Steven is with us tonight? Our featured guest is with us. <laughs> <Sorry. He's building. laughs> yeah, He's like, like our <laughs> SNL featured guest. Yeah, yeah. That means we got to pay him a little extra this week. I don't know. Nice. Right. <laughs> Let's do it. Happy to be here. <laughs> Happy to have you. I did not say that. You're right. <laughs> so who wants to go next? Who wants to tell the future self something? Um, I, it's all go. So I, I think what I would tell my like junior high school self is that, you know, one, um, whether you believe it or not, you're going to become a teacher and two, you are much stronger and more capable than you give yourself credit. Mm. That's awesome. All right, I, I can go next, Steven, so you can think for a second. But yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself as a as a ten year old in fourth grade, right? And I'm telling myself, when you hit recess that first day, you better race every single person out there in a foot race. Ooh. You better play basketball with every single person out there in basketball, and you better play moss up or whatever that game is that they play where they throw the football up and everyone tries to catch it, and you got to catch every single ball because that was where I excelled in elementary school is recess. <laughs> so enjoy that because they haven't had that. They haven't had, and I don't know that they're going to have that in September, or August, whatever we go back. But those are those moments where you just kind of find yourself as a person and kind of figure out where you fit in. At least for me, you know, I got beat, but then I beat people, you know what I mean? So it was always that sort of competition factor of like, where do I fit in, in this you know, male body that I encompass? And because although we had girls that were really, really good at what those games, a lot of, I remember one girl in particular crushed us when it came to throwing the football. 
But that's what I would tell my 11-year-old or 10-year-old self. Come back and enjoy recess. Mm-hmm. How about you, Steven? Um, I would say similar to what you guys said, just have fun. I feel like this whole like pandemic or virtual and hybrid, they haven't really had a chance to connect. And so I know for me, I was a shy kid and I really wouldn't put myself out there, but I wouldn't just encourage myself to um, have fun, meet people again, have those social interactions, because I feel like we definitely got to retrain and reprogram our kids just to how to interact as friends and build yeah. a community because everyone's kind of been in their own bubbles for so long. And so that would be my, my little pep talk. Awesome. That's really cool. That's, we all had that's great. All right. So tonight, um, like I said earlier, we haven't been here in a little while, but we wanted to bring up the idea around the bias against Asian Americans. And we have a couple different talking points. Uh, we want to dive in a little bit into the history of how we got to where we are. Um, we've done a little bit of research and by all means, we are not the research podcast. So we're going to put that out there right now and right here. Um, so if you want to call us on anything, by all means, please do and reach out to us via Twitter or whatever. But one of the ideas that, that I've heard about recently has been about yellow peril and the idea around the yellow peril, the, the way that I traced it back was the transcontinental railroad. And we brought over, we as white Americans brought over, and as we westward expanded from the colonized states into the West Coast to chase uh, many things, including gold, we brought over a lot of Chinese people and we built the transcontinental railroad. And one of the fears around the transcontinental railroad or one of the byproducts of the transcontinental railroad was bringing over a lot of Chinese people. And in doing that, not only did a lot of them die because it was a very risky endeavor, but part of it was the fear is when they stayed here afterwards, that they were going to take over a lot of the jobs. And that's one of those talking points that even here today when it comes to immigrants coming across the border from Mexico. So Yellow Peril was one of those first things that kind of got us started with Asian Americans, at least from what I have read. And then we get to some other ideas around model minority, erasure, minimization, um, and other things. But does anybody want to speak about the idea around the Yellow Peril to start? Or do we want to jump right into kind of where we are today and why and how and what you guys think about where we are in this country as of 2021? It's Doug, as you were talking about that, it reminded me of something that I had read up on where it was, um, there was also a big, so it was bringing over a lot of men um, and not allowing the families to come over with them. So not allowing the wife and the children, because if you separate that, then if you separate men from women, you're less likely to run into the family procreating. And so it caused a lot of problems with families not being able to grow as well. Um, so that, you know, that was one way in which, um, you know, it, it kind of stunted the Asian family unit. Mm-hmm. All right. So Dina, you brought up a topic earlier about, so we, we had this idea about yellow peril and yellow peril, excuse me. And then we get this idea around the model minority. And you brought up an interesting point about how did we get from yellow peril to model minority and to this point where, again, we can go back to, and I always talk about Bacon, Bacon's Rebellion, or the first time that white people tried to separate the white 
from everyone else. And I don't want to go all the way back to that point at this podcast, but what was, what was your thought that you said something earlier about yellow peril to model, model minority? Um, so post, and this is, this is probably a bit of history that a lot of us are already familiar with, but um, post world war II, um, they, the U S government had, you know, set forth a proclamation that um, Japanese Americans needed to go into these incarceration camps. And so they were in there, and I'm not entirely sure number of years, but there are still Americans that are alive who were there during this time period. Um, what basically ended up happening is that they, they, the media kind of utilized the fact that the Japanese were making the the best of their situation. Mm -hmm. And so it's, so they would come in, the media would go in and they'd take all these pictures where it was just like, Oh, look, you know, they're, they're cleaning these places up and look, you know, they're dressed in their best and, you know, they're, they're going about their daily lives and look, they're having these dances and, you know, they were doing all these, posing everything to be normal looking. Um, Mm -hmm. They leave out all the details of the fact that you have taken an entire, you know, a group of people and incarcerated them simply for being Japanese. Um, and these were also not ideal situations either. Um, so the government has a way of doing that. So what ends up happening is that it, it becomes very media centered around Japanese Americans going, Oh, look, they're, you know, they're rising up from the ashes. They are, they're making the best of their situation. Why can't you black people do that? Mm-hmm. And so it became a way to drive a wedge between the Asian American community and the black community. So this is this has been you know kind of how we ended up having the my, my, model minority. Excuse me, model minority. And you know that the uh, all the Japanese that were in these internment camps they got reparations. I believe, mm-hmm. and again, we're not talking facts here in this podcast all the time, but I believe it was twenty five thousand dollars a person. I believe it was a cash payout from what I read, but. If you want to call me on that, by all means, go ahead and do that. So, no, again, no, I believe, how do you, I believe you're right. Yeah. How do you pull a minority in to the white community? Because at that point, you had done them wrong. I think, in my opinion, the fear was you had basically incarcerated an entire group of people. You're going to let them go because the war is over. You don't want them to, to lash out against you or join another group that's against you. So, how do you? How do you get them on your side? You give them reparations. How do you feel about that, Gerard, Stephen? No, that no, what you what you saying, what you're saying is truth. And that's that's the way that the government with that kind of undertone of how they can try to create hostility or create division. And it's like <laughs> We didn't, we didn't intend for that to happen. We just was giving you the example or of how how one race rose from the ashes and then trying to be slick about it. Why, why can't you? But still not realizing the the pitfalls they keep and the, the roadblocks and the stumbling blocks that they keep putting in front of the black community, which which makes their points null and void. So, so let me ask you a question, Gerard or Stephen. Both of you are black men. Why do you think in 1945 or 50, I don't know when the reparations were given out. I don't know when every Japanese internment person was let loose. Why do you think at that point white America was okay to 
apologize for the wrongs that they had done in a way apologize. I'm not saying that they can't actually, I think there was a formal apology that was signed by a president, but again, I'm not, why do you think that's the case? But yet we still haven't apologized. And I don't want to get away from the Asian thing for a second, but why do you think we haven't yet apologized for what we did to Africans and bringing them over to America as slaves? I mean, I know that's a really loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> How much time do we have? Throw this one on you with wait, no wait. more. <laughs> well, one, one I mean, that's deep, right? Because one thing mm. they they know that an apology isn't it's not just going to start stop there. So they real it's like that can of worms. It's like the more we okay, you apologize. So now let's get into repairing, and that repairing is going to have to come with some dollars. That repairing is going to have to come with a whole lot of other stuff. That let's just be honest, America really really ain't they ain't ready for. Mm-hmm. I think the I think and I think go ahead, Stephen. No. I was just going to say, um, this convert, honestly, I'm not as well versed as I should be on the Yellow Peril and Asian Hate, but um, I was listening to a um, YouTube clip from Dr. Claude Anderson, and he was discussing um, America's race-based society and how when we think about a race, it's just that, a race. You have your first place, second place, third place, fourth place. And so he was saying that the same thing applies in terms of different races in America. We have, of course, white race, which is number one, but then we have all other races, whether it's Latinos, Asians, um, Black, African-Americans. And so I think with this instance of giving reparations, it was like, okay, we're cool with giving this group some reparations or some, because again, we have to have, like uh, Dana said earlier, some wedge or something to keep them divided, one, as a minority group's. And then also, too, we know that they're not going to supersede us. We're giving them just enough to satisfy them or keep them happy. And um, to answer the second part, why hasn't it occurred, I think, for Black people? I think um, just because we're the only racial group who was considered three-fifths a person. Mm-hmm. like, And that was actually law. Like, Constitution, Dred Scott, like, we don't consider you a human. And so when you put somebody in that space where you're dehumanizing them to a point where they're literally an animal or literally property, it takes, um, I think it takes a while for people's ideologies and um, approaches to that group to change, to recognize them as a human first. So that's interesting. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. That made me think, as Stephen, as you were talking, it made me think of, now I have not read The Color Purple, but I've seen The Color Purple. And it just reminded me of that, that white woman's like, you know, why, why can't you just be okay with everything that I've done for you? After everything I've done for you, you know, you're going to act like this, you know, and it's just, that's, that's what it made me think of as you were talking about that. What can you? What's the color purple? I'm sorry, just for the listeners. Alice Walker's the color purple. So it was made into a movie back in the '80s, okay. mm-hmm. and Whippy Goldberg. That's actually was her kind of her breakout role. But um, there is a, a situation that happens in the movie where um, it is a, a white woman who is getting very, very irate with one of the black characters, and I I want to say it was the character that Oprah Winfrey played, where it was just you know after everything that I've done for you, and it's almost one of these things where you know. You, you owe me for basic mm. treatment. You know, mm-hmm. you, you owe me for this. And it's, 
you know, <laughs> you owe me for freeing you. Yeah, you owe, you <laughs> yeah. owe me for these things. Haven't I? Haven't I always been good to you? You know, it's you know, and and that's. I mean, when you look at it, we would never accept anybody talking to anybody in that way. Like you know, and and you know, you would never talk to for this for this white woman to do this. She would never talk to one of her white friends that way. You know, after yeah. everything I've done for you, you know, it's. And it, it is so it is so dehumanizing and demoralizing um, to to think that you know it is okay to treat anybody in that manner. Yeah. Um, no, if a white woman was talking to another white woman that way, they'd be called a five letter word mm-hmm. in a second, and it starts with a B and ends with an H. <laughs> and that's just what would happen. I mean, I'm just saying, like that's what happened, and the conversation would be over. I mean, wow. like yeah. So I mean, but this perpetuates even today all the time. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous how. Again, we've said it a million times in this podcast, how white people just assume things and then feel like even giving like any sort of, I'm not even talking reparations. I'm saying any sort of leeway to a person of color. And that doesn't matter if it's Asian or black or Latino or whatever. It's like, we didn't have to do that. So we're doing you a favor. You know what I mean? We're doing you a favor. It's right. like, go ahead. Gerard. And no, say something. no, yeah. No, what you're saying is like, it kind of, indirectly refers to the media's spin of that shooter down in Atlanta. And what I mean by that is, here it is. You can have something on tape or see the facts. Mm-hmm. Why do, why does, and it's not every, it's not everybody, but why does mainstream white America, especially white America that controls the media outlets. I'll put it that way. I'm not going to talk about like, you know, individual citizens, but the white power structure that controls what news gets pushed out. If we're watching and seeing coverage of what happened to these Asian women, where we don't want to hear, we don't want to hear the backstory of any mental health or any other things coming up. Like if, if you're going to bring that up, if you're going to, cause we're educators, if you're going to bring that up, I want to see you start interviewing and have these people on interviewing, the, interviewing some count, interview some counselors, some educators that was in his child's life that tried to get the kids some help and then see how they spiral. You can use it as a case study for mental health on that note, but nah, like, that way we can have something to frame of, we have a frame of reference in the education field of when we start seeing stuff as youngsters, how we can work with parents and be like, we're not saying this is where your child's going to be. But after doing some history and research and we read these, this shooter had this in his background. But as far as like what he did, nah, don't attach that to that. That that can be used as an educational piece, but stop spending, stop spinning the story. Like he did this to those women. It's a hate crime. You right. can't get around it. Mm-hmm. Every murder is a hate crime. It just happens to happen. About go ahead, Dina. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, it's. It, I was. Uh, you know. Uh, I. I don't know if maybe I was kind of shielding myself from it, or if you know it just didn't manifest in my social media the way that I thought it might, but. I was waiting for the comments to come in about the fact that they were all sex workers. Like mm-hmm. I was waiting for that to come in because there is also a significant history around sexualizing Asian women. And, 
It's, um, you know, it, it, it's these kinds of things. And, you know, I, I am, because I'm late presenting, I don't get a lot of the target. Um, and it's, it's very much a privilege for me to not have to deal with this day in and day out. Do you want to tell um, us your background before you go on or no? Um, yeah, it's, so I'm, I am Vietnamese, um, and American. My dad, um, is American. My mom's Vietnamese. And, um, so I was, I'm trying to think here. I managed to get through most of my childhood without hearing something xenophobic. Um, and so the very first thing I remember was when I was in junior high school, um, mm-hmm. there was a, a, a kid on my bus and make a long story very short. Um, it was, it became the rolling stereotypes, you know, all Asian people can cook and, you know, it just, there was a lot of stuff rolling out of this kid's mouth. It's just very ignorant and very racist. And, um, but it was because I stood up and said, you know, this is a part of my culture and a part of my life that I'm very proud of you know, and, and I come from a background of incredibly strong women and, you know, and I, I love who I am. Um, so I immediately became the target of some kid on the bus. Um, Did you f- go ahead? I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you a question when you're done, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, did you hear or see like the jokes? And I know like we are doing video, but we're only recording sound. So, but did you see the jokes where people would pull their eyes to the side and say things like, I mean, like use different terms or whatever. Did that ever affect you in any sort of way? See, I didn't get that because I, I'm weight presenting. So I didn't have to deal with, with that end of stuff. Um, but you so, didn't, but you didn't hear another kid say to another kid. And then you were like, you felt a certain no, way about it. And I, no. and I think maybe, okay. I think maybe I got out of having to deal with that because uh, the, the kids that I was around knew what my background was. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. and, you know, I felt like and, you were like a secret agent, you know what I mean? You could have been in there in those, <laughs> in those white circles and someone says yeah. something Chinese racist. And you're like, Oh my God. You know. <laughs> actually really interesting <laughs> when people don't know my background and they say something incredibly racist like that's always <laughs> and it's wow. like and i'll usually say something along the lines with you know my people don't like it when you talk about us like that yeah. um but uh it's just it, it it's you know i never had to really deal with that and i had growing up one of my best friends was um she is uh filipina and you know, it's because, and she was very popular and because I hung out with her, I ended up not dealing with a lot of that. Um, but like it, but my mom has, um, mm-hmm. you know, she's dealt with it from, you know, family. She's dealt with it from, you know, people who d- that, you know, that refused to rent to her because, you know, she, she at one point in time owned a restaurant and there was somebody who refused when she was looking for spaces, refused to rent to her. Um, yeah because they, they said, you know, and it, and what came out of this, this person's mouth was, you know, well, all you Chinese people, da, 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 da. Um, so it just, they don't know that, you know, looking at my mom, unless you understand the differences, like they have no idea that she's Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, okay. um, so it just, it's, you know, so things like that concern me because I'm not going to be the target of somebody's, of somebody's hate. But my mom is, you know, my mom's friends are, you know, um, we don't have any family here in the U S but we've got family in Australia. Um, so it's, you know, that's always a concern for me. Um, but I don't want anybody to be the target of somebody's hate. You know, it's like, I know what that feels like. And, you know, I, I 
get out of being the target a lot. Um, but I know what that feels like to watch a family member be targeted for hate, you know, and mm. it's just, it's, I know how that feels. I don't want anybody to have to deal with that. Yeah. While you were talking, I don't know if you guys ever, I don't know if you guys are friends or not friends. I don't know if you guys are fans of Dave Chappelle, but Dave Chappelle has a really, I mean, and this is a nineties skit, so it probably doesn't play well today, but he's, he's a blind black guy growing up in a white racist community. And the white racists have convinced him as a blind black guy, and it's Dave Chappelle, that he is white. And it's part of the Dave Chappelle show. I was going to say, probably, that's a sketch on the Chappelle show, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's probably yeah. triggering for people t- today. But in 1996, it was, I mean, I don't know. It was, I don't know. You were talking and I thought about like, you're like I said earlier, you're like a, like a, you're like a double agent inside the white community, but yet not <laughs> so white. But anyway, all right, let's move on. So in 1960, um, I don't know the man's name, but the Asian community became Asian Americans in nineteen in the nineteen sixties. I don't remember exactly what year, and they grouped together because of the idea that the Vietnamese, the Filipinos, the Chinese, the, Amer- the Japanese, Koreans, all Pacific Islanders thought that there would be power in numbers. So let's come together as Asian Americans, and that idea around or that term Asian Americans started to develop in the nineteen sixties. It wasn't until nineteen ninety census that Asian American became something you identified as in the census. So we're talking not only 31 years ago, like not that long ago, a lot of us talk about racism and xenophobia and everything. Like it happened like a billion years ago in 1990. I was, I don't know how old I was 12. (laughs) The math is escaping me. But so that being said, what, do you think, or how do you think, or why do you think, because generally I think most of these policies and ideas are driven by the white community, why do you think they had or wanted to separate the Asian community in the 1990s? Why do you think in 1960 Asians wanted to come together as one? And then what do you think we should do today, or why do you think the white power struggle, i.e. Fox News, who every time there is a shooting they then talk about the 20 cops that got shot by somebody and I'm not even going to go down that path, but why is this all happening? And I know that's a very complicated question that I probably didn't voice out the best way possible, but anybody have any thoughts on why come together? Why separate? Why do we want to classify people? Just without any research or reading and just knowing about, um, all the different populations, well, I'll say countries, um, of, you know, they come here, um, you know, to become Americans. If you take all the people from those separate countries and put them together, and as the years go on and their families grow and more of their families in their, um, native country come here, um, White white races they 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 know that that number of Asian Americans gonna be going up to start to get very close to their population. They and they, like it's that white power struggle, mm-hmm. and that's just and that's not without research or anything. Just thinking about what I know about yeah. um, the population of those countries, where in their native na- native country, 
if you were to think about a certain percentage coming to America and becoming Asian Americans and all that together, yeah, that they could be a force. Because even back in the day, I mean, when the English kind of ruled America, even before the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, you know, Italians were thought of a certain way. The Irish are thought of a certain way. And then all of a sudden, Irish, Italians, even Jewish people who, you know, I mean, they might not even claim to be white, but they got adopted into whiteness, right? There's no Jewish category on the census. If you're Jewish, again, I'm not Jewish. I don't want to speak for Jewish people, but you probably identify as white. So we have adopted people as we see fit. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a crazy idea. If you really think about how deep it is, why we have created this idea of separation. And again, I'm going to go back to 1606, the first time that white, black, or whatever was actually put into print as to identifying people as being different because it actually started all in Africa way back in the day. And then certain people decided to move north and their skin pigment became a little less dark mm-hmm. and they needed a little less vitamin D than our brothers that were further south. <laughs> you needed 12 hours of vitamin D in order to stay healthy. And again, I'm getting kind of silly, but I mean, there really was no difference in any of us from the beginning of where we came from. Right. So, I mean, this is crazy. Right. And now we have, I think, minimized. And again, this is probably maybe our next topic. And maybe I'll just go with this. And, and Dina, I know you're itching to say something, but <laughs> why are we why are we basically calling Asian Americans white? I mean, maybe I'll just go there. I'll just keep it blunt. <laughs> but go ahead. Say whatever you were going to say, because you're itching, itching to say something. Yeah, she, I, she, or got, Steven, she got something in there. I, didn't, I mean, I don't know about the, you know, calling people white, um, but, you know, my whole thought is, you know, there, there's like power in numbers and the more Mm -hmm. you divide people up, you know, the, the less powerful people are going to be because our society is not set up for us to communally, you know, share power. You know, it's just, it's not, it's not set up that way. And in order to keep the power structure, you have to, you know, have certain groups holding the power or withholding the power. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, it just, and that's not, um, that is not how Asian cultures typically work. Not in my experience mm. anyway. Um, it's very much, you know, it's a, it's a communal idea and, you know, shared um, things and, you know, people taking each other in and supporting each other. And so, you know, um, when you separate people from their family or you marginalize groups of people, um, it, it removes their power. And, you know, of course, the the people who have the power also have the voice. And a lot of people who are within the Asian community, when they come to the U.S., it's very much put your head down and don't say anything. You know, we don't want we we don't want to get in trouble. And so, you know, and, and, you know, and there are uh, it's this wasn't how it was in my house. But I, I know kids where when they grew up, you know, when you went home, you'd you, you didn't say anything. Um, and so, and some of it too is guilt. Like you don't want to be, you know, your parents have provided so much for you. And, you know, if, if you run into any trouble, you know, you, you don't want to bring that home and then get your parents upset. Um, so, you know, it's like, if you, if you come across a situation that was racist, you're not going to go home and tell your parents what you dealt with. So that's really interesting. Cause do you think in that case, what, what would the parents do? Right. Because, 
as an Asian parent, you might think, especially in today's world, I'm closer to white than black, right? So is it easier to ignore as an Asian parent than it is as a black parent? As a black parent, you have to say, you know what? It, 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 we just look way different, right? And everybody knows that issue. I mean, everybody in America knows the black-white issue. But as an Asian parent, is it easier just to say, you know what? We're going to be fine. Just stick with the white people. And, I, and again, I'm very, being very blunt here. I'm not trying to – I don't know. I'm just – as you said that, it made me think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's. I, I know, know that, you know, from – what my experiences were when I was growing up, if, if, if a teacher called my house and that has happened before, if a teacher called my house, it was automatically my fault. Um, because that person held a level of authority and you just, you, you had to be good, um, and do what you were told. Um, and if you refused, then, you know, it's, it's like you're speaking badly upon the name that you represent. Um, Mm. and so there was, you had to very much toe that line. Um, and I've like, I've talked to people who are, um, other teachers where, you know, it's like they, they called home, um, for, you know, any of their Asian kids. And like, there was a significant amount of trouble that those kids got into at home. And so, you know, that, that could impact it, but it's like, you know, it, it, it's just the whole idea of you don't want to, you don't want to be the one that causes the trouble. Mm-hmm. So, so who did, if you don't mind me getting too personal, did your mom do most of those conversations with you or your dad? Um, if it was, it depends on who it was. My, my mom has always been, um, she has always been concerned about not being able to come up with the words she needs to communicate with people. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And so that was always a concern for her. So if it was somebody calling the house because, you know, they needed to have a conversation with my parents and it didn't even matter what the subject was. My dad was usually the one who fielded those phone calls. Mm-hmm. Um, and so did they ever ask if the teacher was Asian? Did they ever ask if the teacher was Asian? Yeah. Cause I bet, I bet Gerard and Steven, I bet their parents may have asked the question, was the teacher black? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Versus white. Cause mm-hmm. it, their reaction may have been a little different. You know, it's just something to think about. I just, I thought about that as you were talking. I was like, I bet your, I mean, Dina, I bet your mom never asked, was the teacher Asian? I mean, because represent, again, back to the idea, representation matters, right? Mm -hmm. Because if the teacher was Asian, maybe that would have been a different reaction to you as a student. I don't know. I mean, again, I'm just, again, just throwing out stuff for conversation. No, you're right. Because I know just in my career from teacher to AP, um, if I've ever had to, in either role, assist one of my white counterparts, um, you know, with maybe a upset parent or, um, you know, um, not seeing eye to eye with a, with a parent. And it was if the teacher was white, uh, one of my white counterparts and the parent was black. I want to I asked from A to Z. OK, like, OK, what did the child do? Um, how did you how did you have that conversation with the parent or. Like, oh, this is what I said in the email. That, then I can be like, that, that, that's that, that's where you went wrong. I'm not saying went wrong. Let me rephrase that. That's where it went south. What do you mean that's where it's south? Okay, in the black community, this is how that. Like, the the tone or your approach sounds like you're targeting her black son, and this is why you got that response. And I and we can and we can troubleshoot through that. Yeah, Stevie, you jumping on that or? 
Yeah, um, so I'm sorry. Just to backtrack for one second. We said that um, <laughs> it came up with the Asian American category in the 1960s. Yeah, I, I don't have a guy's name, but it was definitely a male. And he said okay. that yeah, he came so, up with the Asian. Yes, go Right, right. Come just thinking about like U.S. history during that time because we were in the Vietnam War, which is a big thing in terms of Asian community. And then also, um, of course, that's beginning of the civil rights era with um, the different movements. And so um, just thinking even in those terms to, I think Dan said it earlier, um, trying to divide the races. I just remember uh, vividly Mar- uh, Muhammad Ali's quote when he talked mm-hmm. about the Vietnam War, how he never had an issue with Asians or Vietcon. And I think that was a lot of minorities' position in general in America. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't have mm-hmm. an issue with his Latinos or Asian Americans. We were all trying to just come up because we were all experiencing some type of discrimination. Mm-hmm. And so um, I guess making that category, um, again, try to be, create that little wedge in there where it's like, all right, well, this one group is a little bit better than the other minority groups or just, again, ways to control the narrative and um, make sure that the white power is in structure and intact. And so, um, I, I mean, tying it to today, uh, I feel like we still have some of those same similarities um, that we experienced back in those times. Like, I don't think Black people necessarily look at Asian communities in a type of way. Um, I think, honestly, it's just like, we have so much going on in our community where we're just trying to come up. And then um, when we see people who are experiencing racism, like I, I know with Twitter, there was one post where I think there was a black guy who um, who had kicked down an Asian, older Asian lady. And mm-hmm. the black Twitter was like blowing up. They were like, yo, why would someone do that? something like that to an elderly person? Because we already know how it feels. To, and so I think already the community already feels a certain sense of oppression. And so they're not going to attach that or press that onto another marginalized group. Yeah. That's a good point. And the truth be told, the truth be told, the black community supports the Asian community businesses. Like, yeah, um, I'm just, I'm just telling you the black community. A nail salon, a nail salon, a a nail salon, a hair salon, like Steven said, you, you 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 give me ten black women and you and you put and you put four stores on one block, two two hair salons, one white owned, one Asian owned, and a nail salon, one white owned and one Asian owned. I can guarantee you them ten black women going to the Asian owned. I can guarantee mm-hmm. you that. So like we like kind of like what Steven said, that Muhammad Ali thing is that rings true today. Like we just that's just not us. Like with that. With like you know trying to tear down another margin a group that's already marginalized that's just not us. Yeah, yeah and and I'll go back to what I was saying to Dean earlier. I think the representation matters too. I mean, I think we need more representation not only of the Asian community in teaching, but also the Latino community. I don't mm-hmm. see enough Latinos in there. And, and a little side note. Uh, Steven, after the show, can you give me the password for Black Twitter? Because I've been trying to find that place forever, and I can't, I can't find Black Twitter. I keep on looking for it because everybody talks about it, and I'm like, I need to get in on Black Twitter, and I just, I don't even want to contribute anything. I just want to watch and see what's going on. Right, but I can't right. get in there. The trend is after the, the, trend the, is after the hey, You know what? Give me the password. Whatever the pa- knock knock. <laughs> 
Knock, oh knock, wait, wait. I just need to get the password. Doug asked right. for the password. <laughs> Steven, Steven, send them about five to seven names of Twitter handles of people that right. always on fire, and you can right. and you can stem off from everything from there. Yep. So that's yep. all it is? That's all I need? Yeah. I don't need the password? I thought there was like some secret like, wall I had to get behind. Like, to, like yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm just kidding, because people always talk to me, and they're like, Doug, what is black Twitter? I'm like, I don't know. I don't like these are white people asking me. I'm like, I don't know what black right, Twitter right. is. Like people talk about it all the time, but I have no idea. All right, all right. I don't get too much off the top of something here. All right. All right. Is there anything more? We're going 40 minutes. Is there anything more to talk about tonight or a week good? Any final thoughts from Dean Gerard, Steven? You guys got any final thoughts? I really don't have anything. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something out there because Doug, you yeah, were yeah. you were talking about resources earlier, and we never kind of really answered that. But I do want to say I've not had a chance to listen to this episode yet, but I've not, never been disappointed by one. Um, so, um, Leading Equity episode 187. Um, so this is the right. Sheldon, our friend Sheldon, um, his mm-hmm. um, newest podcast episode. Uh, the title is "The Importance of Racial Identity Development." Mm. Um, so he's got a guest on that's going to discuss that information. So, um, I, I would say one of the, um, one of the most recommended ways I've, I've seen in terms of doing research is on understanding identity and how it forms, because it helps us to better understand and appreciate each person's identity and who they are. Um, and so, um, this is something that I, I read through, um, it's no longer, the website is no longer teaching tolerance. It's learning for justice. Yeah. And um, so <laughs> great resources there for anybody who is, um, you know, a classroom teacher who's like, you know, I, I want to do something, but I'm not sure what to do. They have a lot of information on forming identity and, and how that informs um, who we are. Um, so I'm excited about this newest episode. So I'm going to give a, a shout out to Sheldon and recommend that episode. Yeah. I think that podcast and then leading for justice, that Twitter handle, if you're a teacher, those are the two first things that I go to. If you're going to do any sort of diversity equity work in America at all, period. Like, anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Gerard. You got anything? Or no, that's anything? true. That's true. Those resources. Yeah. Gerard, our featured special guest tonight coming in for the first time. Coming in. Coming in. We're so happy to see you, but not be able to see you, Stephen, because you haven't turned your camera on. <laughs> remember, just the thing, I'm just trying to figure out like the new features I haven't been on so long. Like, man, no, I can't, no, can't even see you. I just text me that password. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> well, you should have seen us when we first when we first got on the scene. I'm like, whoa, what what Doug done pulled that this? first that first time logged yeah. in? Home, what Doug done pulled? Right, right. I was All right, y'all. All right, we out. We out. All right. <laughs> All right. This is speaking educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard. Where I'm coming from. Education now, you know, what can I do to create this equitable space? And, like, you know, what, and especially for those students um, that look like me and that came from uh, my community, I wanted to be an influencer for them, like for young people. Connect with more people whose mindset and goals. All right, this is speaking educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard.